It's time for the 7th Avenue Project. More information at 7thAvenueProject.com. Hello and welcome to the 7th Avenue Project. Robert Polly here with a little warning about today's show. It involves the frequent use of an unpleasant word, extinction. Okay, maybe that term has lost some of its shock value in recent years. We've heard a lot about the possibility that climate change could drive a large number of species over the edge. But it now turns out that even the pessimists may have been lowballing. Today we're going to be discussing a major new scientific study that says that the era of mass extinctions may already be upon us. With a sense of growing dismay over the last few years, UC Santa Cruz biologist Barry Sinervo and his colleagues have been watching lizard populations vanish around the world. And they say the cause is global warming. If the study's conclusions are borne out, it could turn out to be a landmark in science's effort to track and predict the impact of climate change. A scientific achievement, but also an epic downer. This may be the first piece of scientific research that I've reported on where all the researchers hope they're wrong. Coming up, I'll talk to Barry Sinervo and other scientists about the implications of their work for reptiles and the rest of us. Stay tuned. All right, on to today's show. Now, I usually don't cover breaking news on this program. We're a weekly show, after all, and we tend to leave the story du jour to daily journalists. But when Barry Sinervo gave me a heads-up earlier this week and said he was about to drop a scientific bomb, I jumped at the chance to cover it. Barry and a number of his colleagues published a paper just the other day in the journal Science that is making headlines around the world. It's the culmination of years of research documenting lizard extinctions around the globe and tying them directly to rising temperatures. It is an alarming finding and may have huge implications, and it's also a remarkable tale of accidental discovery, a kind of scientific detective story. The fact is, no one had realized lizards were dying off until a handful of researchers spotted a pattern and began connecting the dots. In fact, Barry Sinerva wasn't even studying climate change at the time. Evolution is his bag. You may have heard him a few months ago on this show talking about some of the fascinating evolutionary games that lizards play. And it was while studying those evolutionary processes in southern France that he and his team first noticed that many of the local lizards had gone missing. We were just doing some other research on lizards in France, and we noted that places where lizards should be were now um, extinct. And, uh, I mean, as a herpetologist, you don't want to go to a place and uh, not find lizards. So we went to places where that had nice uh, populations reported, and there were no more lizards. And that was just a, a stark, stark pattern that we saw repeated again and again all across the south of Europe and at the low elevation sites. When was this? This was in 2002 we recorded the first extinction, and pretty much every year we picked up another three or four extinctions. And so by 2007, we had 15 extinctions out of about 45 sites. Was this the first that that people had uh, noticed these multiple extinctions of lizard species? It was, in fact, um, where it was such a widespread pattern. Um, And then just by chance, I started up very similar work in Mexico, And there, we essentially did the same thing. We went to these places where there should be lizards, and we found that there were like uh, 24 of 200 sites, so about 12% 
extinctions in Mexico. And again, at the low parts of the species range and in the southern parts of the species range where it's hotter. So the signal of climate change extinction was just kind of beeping in my head. So you say the, the low um, part of the range, you mean lower elevations, lower altitudes? That's right, where it tends to be hotter. So your immediate hunch was it's the heat. It's the heat, yeah. And, and especially because now we saw it both in Europe and in Mexico. And I remember vividly having this conversation with Fausto Mendez de la Cruz, who was uh, the key contact in Mexico, where spearheading the research team there. And uh, I pointed this out to him, this fact that many of these populations he had studied when he was a graduate student are now extinct. And he said, Barry, it's like you punched me in the gut. It's an incredibly visceral feeling when you know that these lizards that you, in fact, uh, really enjoy working on and finding out really interesting things about them are now going extinct. How do you conclude that they're extinct rather than, say, they've moved, um, the numbers have diminished to the point where they're harder to find? How do you know they're extinct? Yeah, we, we actually picked out the lizards that we were going to research because these lizards all need the sun, and they're active um, when it's sunny days, and there's, um, they're generally found at very high densities, and if they're not at high densities, they're gone. And then they also behave during the day, during the reproductive season, in ways that make them completely obvious to biologists. They're head-bobbing at one another or push-upping, and they have these bright colors. So they're very conspicuous. They're not like snakes where you don't really see all the snakes that are in an area. For example, at the study site that I work at near in California, I can catch every single lizard that's on a rock outcrop. <laughs> they're that conspicuous. That's right. And, 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 um, and they're also very gregarious. So they won't be present in an area unless there's a certain number of them kind of in a small area. So they're not like really just distributed like some species are. They're very concentrated. Now, these areas where you notice the extinctions in both France and um, Mexico... Are these places that you knew were getting hotter? Um, ha have the climate trends been upward uh, in temperature in these areas? Well, um, at the time I saw the extinctions, I didn't, and I've become kind of a mini-expert on climate change in those areas. I immediately went to some of the public domain sites and downloaded a bunch of the data, just the raw data. And uh, there's a great database in Europe, and there's also data available for Mexico. And you just run the numbers, and you see just enormous changes. But focused, not just randomly throughout the year, it's just getting hotter. The spring months were the ones that were getting hotter, both in Europe and in Mexico. The spring months. So, yeah. so what does that tell you? Well, you, you know, if you think of something dying from a thermal cause, maybe you think it's going to be at the worst is going to be the summer months. But the summer months haven't actually changed as dramatically as the spring months. So I knew that maybe the spring months had something to do with it. And if you're a lizard biologist, you go out and catch lizards in the spring, so you instantly realize that you're going there because they're reproductive, and so the reproductive period was probably being affected. Um, lizards like heat, don't they? They love it. In fact, they're called uh, heliophilic uh, or thermophilic. Those refer to sun-loving, heliophilic, thermophilic, um, heat-loving. What that means is that the lizards are ectotherms that rely on external sources of heat to warm their bodies up. So they do need the heat, but too much will actually force them in. Because unlike you and I, who can sweat in the heat of the sun to dump heat, they don't sweat. To get out of the heat, they have to crawl into crevices or into uh, holes. You used a fancy term a moment ago, ectothermic? Yeah. 
That's what we lay people call cold-blooded. That would be uh, kind of a misnomer for these lizards because they actually like to get their blood hot. Mm-hmm. But the lizards you're studying in this case, uh, the ones that are going extinct, still depend on the environment to warm them or cool them. So uh, when they want to get warm, they go out in the sun. When they want to cool off, they retreat to the shade. That's it. And you're saying that it's gotten too hot for them in the spring months. Yep. And what's that do to them? Do they just fry? I mean, what's going on? No, so they don't fry, but they're forced into retreat sites. So we, we actually proved this in the paper at um, the Yucatan sites, where lizards were going extinct and where lizards had already gone extinct. And we put out these little lizard models. I got uh, PVC pipe, and I got some auto body primer paint, which is pretty easy to get in Mexico. And I got some pop, uh, actually, uh, water bottle caps, and I glued them onto the PVC pipe to make a tube. And then I just poked a hole in the bottle tops and inserted um, a temperature probe into the inside. And because it's spray-painted gray, it has exactly the same reflectance as a lizard, and it heats up just like a lizard. So, and because it's sealed, the heat is trapped, and so it heats up just like a lizard body would in the sun. Now, we put those at the extinct sites and at these um, persistent sites, but the sites, these persistent sites were on the verge of extinction. At the extinct sites, the number of hours per day when it was too hot for them to be out um, had gotten up to about nine hours. But they're unable to forage at that time. And that's the peak reproductive period, so they need a lot of energy to grow the follicles that develop into eggs. So let's back up here. You created these little devices that simulate lizard temperatures. You put them out in the sun in sites where lizards had apparently gone extinct and in sites where lizards still lived on, uh, and you found that in those extinction sites, it was getting too hot in the sun for lizards to tolerate. That's right. And even at the persistent sites on the verge of extinction, they were experiencing four hours of time when they'd have to retreat. And that's that's a lot of the day that's gone. That's a third of the day that's lost to foraging. And that probably would put them into a negative sort of uh, energy decline, and they wouldn't be uh, able to reproduce as well, and the population would start to decline. I, I take it you already had some idea of what the lizards could tolerate. I mean, the, the, the purpose of these little um, lizard uh, thermometers was to find out how hot it was, but you must have known also how hot is too hot. That's right. Uh, you know, a generation of uh, physiological ecologists, people that study the physiology of animals in their environments, had worked out all of those parameters. How hot is too hot? How hot is in the butter zone when it's just perfect to be a lizard in the Yucatan Peninsula? And that's what was an advantage of the um, Mexico data set. We had all of those parameters figured out for us. So we could actually go through the list and figure out which was the critical parameter. And the critical parameter turned out to be really simple. It's the relationship between the body temperature that a lizard has and the daily maximum air temperature and how that then translates into the hours of restriction. So lizards are being driven out of the sun into hiding. They cannot do their normal life-sustaining activities when they're in the shade. They can't reproduce. They can't forage for food. And um, the result is, what, are they dying of starvation, dying um, uh, simply because they can't reproduce? They're not dying of starvation. It's just that their, their population isn't growing positively. They're actually probably in a, in a point where they're growing negatively because their progeny aren't recruiting to the next generation well. Mm -hmm. So it's not like a dramatic effect. But then think of it, when you take that and project it, for 30 years they've sustained this climate warming, and it's gotten worse and worse and worse. 
And so they've been in that negative decline for 30 years, and, and it's just been too much. They, they've just been hunkering down increasingly and, and unable to uh, grow as a population. That's right. So, so now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Barry, but you've now drawn a connection between the maximum daily temperatures, which have been on the increase according to the climatological records you've been looking at, right, and the disappearance of lizard species in places like Mexico, the same thing in France as well? Yeah. Uh, where does that get you? Well, we could test the model against uh, the Mexican data, and it predicts it really nicely. There are some exceptions which are actually really important for the whole story. Uh, and then we could test it against Europe, but the data is really a good fit to Europe as well, because I probably, you know, um, devised a model, even if I didn't think about it, that would work well in those two places. But the real test of it is how well does it perform against data that we just see other people have collected. And, and here's where it gets pretty simple. We could actually take the data that people had collected across the world for body temperature, and we know their location, so we know what the um, air temperatures have increased in that specific location, maximum daily air temperatures during the breeding season, and then generate a map of where extinctions will be really prominent. You have data from people who studied these lizards about their ability to, uh, to withstand heat, right? You, yep. you know what they like, you know what, what they consider comfortable, what allows them to go out in, in, in uh, daylight and, and, again, reproduce and forage and do those things. You know that for various species. You also have climatological records that show how hot it's been getting in those places, and you can then make a prediction. Um, lizards are going extinct or are extinct in some of these places around the world. That's right. We can say exactly in this location, we should see this level of extinction and uh, with really good confidence go out and test this. And, and the reason is we, we developed this huge database of 1,216 locations where we had body temperatures that other people had reported. And so that was from a literature review. So that's the first part of just kind of going virtual. Rather than um, going out there and collecting that data, which is actually brutally hard work, well, everybody else had already collected it. And we used that from the literature. Then we made those predictions, and then we had this idea that, well, let's just go see, because we observed it in Mexico, and we observed it in Europe. Maybe other people have observed it and actually started to publish about it. And we found a critical paper by a colleague in Brazil. He had just reported, I think it was 2007, um, that the uh, lizards that were going extinct in Brazil he didn't really have a good reason. He thought it might be because of habitat disturbance, so he put all his geo-referenced locations in, the, in his paper. I just copied and pasted that into the model, ran the numbers, and we could predict the extinctions that he observed pretty closely. So, so you have this, this simple model, really, that looks at air temperatures, looks at how much heat a, a particular lizard species can stand before it has to retreat into the shade, and you were able to start predicting extinctions. You looked at the data... And, in fact, you found these extinctions actually had taken place. That's right. And then we went to collect even more data. I, I, we split up the world. Miles took uh, Madagascar. I took um, Africa. And we only found one extinction reported in the literature for Africa, but that was exactly predicted by the model. It's a location in Kenya where a colleague that I knew from my um, postdoc days had uh, recorded the extinction um, with a, one of these 
um, surveys that went back to a, a, a nature reserve and surveyed the lizards that were present there, and they noted that in the literature they described this lizard as being present, but it wasn't any longer. And um, and then in Madagascar, Miles found several good papers, and I found a few more, and it, we ran the numbers, and the data was really good for Africa. Then I found some additional data in um, Australia, and the extinctions of that species, uh, Liafolus slateri, were exactly predicted by the model. And it was then that we decided to contact colleagues from around the world, and we got back lots more data to confirm the model, and that we uh, finally um, end up with this publication on these extinctions. You mentioned Miles, your collaborator, Donald Miles, right? Donald Miles. That's what I call him. He's Miles. So uh, give us a, a kind of ballpark understanding of the extent of these extinctions that have been going on among lizards uh, around the world. What we know is that we've observed these extinctions in Mexico, and it's validated by Europe, South America, Africa, and Australia. And uh, the numbers come out really close to the model of uh, extinction. But there are many unsurveyed areas, and those are being hit the hardest. In Mexico, we know that there are some species that are now pushed to the tipping point. More than 50% of their local populations have now gone extinct. So they're now past that critical threshold, and they're probably going to go extinct in the next decade. We know from the model that in the Amazonian basin, many species have probably already passed that tipping point. But the problem is that we won't even know what we've lost because the, the genetic surveys haven't even been done for those areas. In fact, that's the work that we were trying to spin up. And the same is true in equatorial Africa and also in um, India and through the uh, Malay uh, Peninsula and into Indonesia. Hmm. Um, can you give us just a rough guess, though, at this point, uh, as to how many lizard uh, species may have gone extinct in the last couple of decades? Uh, um, and according species to your, we're talking about many are on the verge, and only a tiny fraction, less than a percent, have probably gone extinct. But we'll never know that, right? Because these are in areas that are poorly sampled. Now, in the next decade coming up, we're looking at about a percent or two percent. But by about 2050, that number will increase to about six percent. And then by 2080, the total number of species that are extinct will increase to about 20%. So what we're seeing is an exponential increase in the number of, of um, species that are going extinct. When you say that 20% of all lizard species could be extinct by 2080, that is 70 years from now, you're basing that on current temperature trends. If, if the temperature continues to rise at the rate it's been rising for, what, the last couple of decades? That's right. What we're going to see is... Um, 2050 and 2080 scenarios along the lines of 6% and 20% species extinctions. Hmm. Of course, there's a lot of ifs in, in, that, in that model, right? We don't know that temperatures will continue to rise at that rate, but you feel confident that if they do, um, given this model you've developed of the relation between temperature and lizard extinction, that uh, we will see this mass die-off of lizard species uh, over the next um, 60, 70 years? That's right. We, ha we know what the error estimates are on our species extinctions. What we don't know is what we're going to do with those climate curves, whether they're going to continue increasing, because some people don't think that it's of an anthropogenic cause. Um, many climate scientists, of course, do believe that, but the, there is a, a, a small fraction and a sizable fraction that believe that there are also other reasons why. And, and by the way, uh, you said anthropogenic, referring to global warming. You mean human-caused global warming. That's right. Still, still... 
human-caused global warming. Still some uncertainty about that. Many people believe that what we've seen in temperature trends is directly caused by human beings and uh, greenhouse gas emissions. Some people argue that's not the case. Yeah, that's right. That's, you know, that's um, uh, the open debate right now. But uh, the available evidence is that uh, uh, we're dealing with greenhouse gases causing climate increases, in my opinion. But that's, you know, that's a the opinion that I have. I'm not an expert in climate uh, change science. I'm an expert in, you know, evolutionary biology and extinctions and adaptation. Well, you just uh, mentioned the magic word, anticipating my next question. A lot of people are probably asking at this point in our conversation, um, can't these lizards evolve their way out of it? Can't they just uh, start to adapt and, and get more heat tolerant? That's a great question, because you'd think that over the you know, short term, they should be able to adapt. We actually address that point directly in our paper. It turns out that when I was a graduate student, I had estimated heritability. Heritability is the amount of genetic variation. It's the raw material for natural selection. And in order to adapt, you need genetic variation that you can use to change the population over time. And the way natural selection works is actually really simple. Individuals die deaths the ones that had a low body temperature for a genetic reason are, are essentially not producing progeny as well as the ones that have a higher body temperature. And, and then the population moves up in temperature. Now, when you say that, that the ones with a low body temperature don't propagate ones with a high body temperature, you're, you're actually, you actually mean those that can tolerate a high body temperature survive and, and multiply. What I mean is those that have a preference for a high body temperature. I see, I see. And, and, and that way, they're the ones that do better. Now, in that little uh, um, sketch of natural selection, remember I said that a fraction of the population has to die. If temperature changes fast enough, a much larger fraction has to die if the trait is not all that heritable. And from my graduate work, I estimated the heritability to only be about 20%. The 20 percent of the variation that you see in the population is going to be passed on with high fidelity. Now that means that because the heritability is not all that high, too many individuals will die under the current climate warming scenarios that we've seen historically for the population to actually even sustain a positive demography. That means that you know there's just lots of individuals dying before they can get to the age at which they reproduce simply because they're dying these selective deaths. And uh, that large fraction of selective deaths means that the population isn't growing. And because it occurs over 30 or 40 um, generations, the population collapses at that point. So uh, if I could maybe try to simplify this, you described a sort of catch-22. In order for natural selection to work, um, death has to play a role. That's what natural selection is. You know, It kills off the losers. But you're saying that um, in this scenario, the one we're seeing now with lizards, too many are being killed off in the process of, of selecting, you know, the survivors um, to actually carry on the population. That's right. And we, we express that as a simple number. We call it a selection intensity. That fraction of the population that dies is just too great to sustain a, a positive population increase. And in fact, the population goes negative and goes negative for a long time and crashes. So, so again, a, a, another simple way of putting it, um, and, and this is how people have talked about global warming in general in relation to uh, extinctions, the temperatures are changing too fast. This process is outracing the ability of many species to adapt. That's right. And we've never seen this rate 
in the paleontological record before, right? We haven't seen rates of climate change like this ever before. How does this feel uh, to someone like yourself who's, who's studied uh, lizards for decades and, and lived among them, who's dedicated your life to really understanding them? How does it feel to discover at this point that many lizard species are dying off or will die off if, if trends continue? This has been some of the most depressing work that I've ever done. In science, often you discover something and you get this little high. <laughs> well, with this work, you discover some really interesting facts. So there, there can be this, you can detach yourself from it, but you always come back to this fact that you are, are essentially witnessing and seeing into the future um, horrible things that are coming to pass, especially for an animal that you have spent your life trying to study and understand and, and really do enjoy working with and, and uh, really want to see um, um, survive into the future. And, and it would be a tragedy if we didn't do something to really avert this crisis. I mean, it is a foregone conclusion. That's what's really depressing about it for me, that we have committed ourselves to those 2050 scenarios. With the, the CO2 production levels that we're seeing, um, we probably committed ourselves to the climate warming by 2050. The only thing we can do now is to essentially really limit CO2 production and try to bend that CO2 curve down, which is lower the amount of CO2, that, produce, that pushes all those climate change scenarios deep into the future, and we may, in fact, save a, a large chunk of the world's biodiversity. But the, the so-called 2050 scenario, 40 years from now, uh, what percentage of, of lizard species are you predicting w will go extinct? Six percent. And then if you look at the number of local populations, it's anywhere from about 16 to 20 percent of the world's local populations are going to be wiped out. Mm, not just species, but local populations. Um, and you're saying that it's too late to, to, to stop that from happening. It takes a long time, even if we were suddenly able to start cutting down on greenhouse emissions, uh, to, uh, to actually halt the rise in global temperatures. That's right. And so I, I think of it this way now. Evolutionary biologists divide the world up into the epochs, you know, the time that we've seen in terms of the eras or what have you. And we're entering a new era. We're entering the era of climate warming extinctions. And what that means is that it's just going to be accelerating from here on out no matter what we do. If we can bend the curve, we can actually slow the acceleration and, and come to a new threshold, but we're still committed to those losses. Now, I'm, I'm sure as a scientist and as someone who's proud of your um proud of your, your abilities, you want these conclusions to be right. But on the other hand, as a guy who cares about the earth, you, you'd probably love to find out that you're wrong. Is there any chance that you're wrong? What are the caveats here? There are caveats. We only investigated one adaptive scenario. But for ha perhaps they could evolve a change in lay date or some other novel behavior that we hadn't thought of. So there are some caveats, to be sure. And uh, um, we really can't get into the details of those caveats until we understand more about, you know, climate science biology. For example, lizards are going extinct, but what effect will that have on the world's ecosystems? Well, it turns out that lizards are a critical link in ecosystems. Um, they both are prey for organisms like birds and snakes, but they also feed on lots of insects. We won't know really what's going to happen yet with, with, with the break in the chain. For example, if you remove lizards, now you're removing the prey source for the birds, but now there are more insects for the birds to feed on because they can switch between lizards and insects. So that kind of stuff is really hard to figure out. 
Uh, and so those are the kinds of caveats that we can't really even explore just yet. You mentioned that they might evolve a change in lay date. You mean egg laying? That's right. Um, if you look at climate warming, because it's getting warmer in the springs earlier, maybe the lizards will start laying a little bit earlier and escape climate warming. We actually explored that caveat in the model, and we actually modified that parameter. But it didn't have much of an effect because the, the problem was that climate warming is happening so fast in the spring, and it's kind of happening uniformly across the spring for them to escape the climate warming crisis that way. But that doesn't mean that they may, in fact, shift dramatically in the future. It's hard to predict sometimes evolution, and that's what we're trying to do, you know, predict this, the, the novel things that can happen. Where does this study fit in the overall picture that scientists have been putting together of potential or actual extinctions uh, occurring in, in various animal and plant groups around the world due to global warming? Well, let's compare it to the amphibian declines that we know have been devastating amphibian populations. People think 30% of the world's species of amphibians are going to be um, extinct in short order. Now, we know that that decline is actually probably due to a multiplicity of causes. We know that it's due to the insults from herbicides that we've thrown at them. There's good evidence for that. It's due to the ozone depletion. There's good evidence for that. It's due to, in fact, this fungus that has been spreading around the world for reasons that are unclear. There's good evidence for that. With the, with the climate warming explanations there, it's hard to just ascribe some of the extinctions to climate warming, given all these insults that are occurring. But uh, the lizards are actually really a clean case where we can actually ascribe the cause to climate warming, given that we understand so much about the thermal physiology of these lizards. And that's not my work. That's a generation or two of uh, physiological ecologists that have laid the, the groundwork for me to build upon with this model. Um, so if we were going to summarize, what, what is uh, unique and groundbreaking about this study as far as you know? Number one, is, is it the first study, uh, to your knowledge, that, that has shown extinctions to be taking place directly due to, to temperature increases? Yeah, it makes that link through a number of ways. It's not a... We, in science, we want to do... Um, an experiment to test that. But, you know, we only have one Earth, and we've messed it up, right? So that's one data point. So we can't do experiments of that kind. We have other experiments planned, but we did do a test, right? We did that a priori predictions of what it is we'll see in South America, Africa, and Australia, and that makes it a very strong test because we predicted these things, and sure enough, that's exactly what we saw there when we went to the data. Now, the other thing that's important about it is that it's the first study to really show that there's a global scope across all five continents we're seeing these extinctions. And so that suggests a global cause, and climate warming seems the most likely of those causes. And then it's the first test to really consider these adaptive escape scenarios as well and um, to, to really look at the caveats that might be involved. So those are the three big things, looking at current extinctions, looking at it globally, and then looking at the escape from the climate crisis, like uh, evolving uh, or just moving up to higher elevations. We even considered that problem. And that, of course, is another escape route, going up to higher elevations. Where That's right. And, in fact, we considered that possibility. The Mexican data is very clear on this. We observed a number of species that didn't fit the model but went extinct nonetheless. However, 
at seven of eight of those sites where we found this mismatch, it turns out that a competitor from low elevation invaded that now warmer habitat. It wasn't good for them in the past. Now it was really perfect. And the extinctions of those higher elevation forms were largely due to this competitor. Now, these forms that are at high elevation are actually the ones that are the rare high, you know, high diversity species, you know, they're, they're the ones that are uh, the most at risk of extinction because they're only found in one little mountain range and they're going to run out of room. Is it also a, an, another special feature of this study that you guys have come up with a, a pretty simple model of how extinctions may occur among lizards due to temperature, a way in which scientists can take a very simple set of data, that is, maximum temperatures in various parts of the world and, uh, and the heat tolerance of various lizard species and begin to predict when those species will disappear. That's right. And our, the model makes these predictions. We can feed in more data, and that's something I'm planning on doing. Have scientists feed in the data on um, the geographic distributions and body temperatures, and the model will just crunch the numbers for them and tell them that it should be extinct in these areas. And concerned conservation biologists will go check that out and verify the model. So it has that a priori prediction um, uh, post hoc test feature of it that's really, really important in, in, a, in, a, in a model. You don't want just a model to predict everything. You want it to predict the way you see the world very precisely and from a very simple set of reasons, right? If it's, you can predict anything if it's a complicated model. I wanted to make the simplest model possible that had the maximum predictive power, and that's what we seem to have achieved with this model. You have spent much of your career investigating um, evolution among lizards. That's your real specialty. This is kind of a, a new direction for you. Um, what's next in, in your research? Well, uh, you know, I'm kind of hung up on this uh, climate change science now. It's like I'm kind of uh, in, in, into it with my um, elbows. And uh, we're doing the extinction research right now in the French Pyrenees. So that's what I'm here every summer for, just to see what's happening, actually follow the course of extinctions and, and see then, use that information to predict where the next extinctions are going to occur, to see if there are any mitigations that we can do. Um, I, I still have my interest in, you know, at heart is in the genesis of new diversity. So, but the problem is all of that diversity is vanishing. So a huge thing for us is now to develop um, essentially a kind of a genetic arc of sorts where we go and collect tissue around the world because that's going to be gone. You know, it's going to disappear, and we really need to collect that uh, for future generations so they can study evolutionary patterns that occurred in the past but now have been obliterated. For example, in Mexico, my student Beth has been visiting sites, and she has found that the that these really incredibly important sites where um, uh, the colleague Dr. Jack Sites of uh, BYU studied the lizards, and really these are incredibly important areas for understanding evolutionary dynamics. Those have actually been destroyed by climate warming effects. All of the relationships are gone now. So if we were to go back and try to repeat Dr. Sites' work, it would be impossible. The information has been lost to science. Wow. I mean, this sounds like a, a necessary and uh, urgent task, but not exactly a, a happy one. Yeah, it's some of the most depressing work that I do, because you go to a place and they're gone. Well, Barry, thanks so much for, for um, you know, getting us up to date on that, and um, let's hope you're wrong, huh? Yeah, I hope <laughs> so. I hope so, Robert. Thanks for having me on. 
Barry Sinervo is professor of ecology and evolutionary biology at UC Santa Cruz. I'm Robert Polly, and you're listening to the Seventh Avenue Project on KUSP. And we're devoting today's show to a major new scientific paper just published by Barry Sinervo and fellow researchers. It reports the distressing finding that many of the world's lizard populations are dying off due to rising global temperatures. It's bad news for lizards and perhaps other animals as well. Next, we'll get some additional details from one of the key participants in the study. Donald Miles is a professor of biological sciences at Ohio University, and he worked closely with Barry Sinervo on many aspects of the research. So you and Barry Sinervo and others were, were studying um, lizard evolution, and you really stumbled on this, this whole extinction trend by accident? Yeah, it's uh, serendipitous, and it's both shocking and amazing at the same time. Uh, we were not anticipating anything like this. You, you first noticed it in, in France, and then you also found that uh, populations were, had disappeared or were disappearing in Mexico. And then at some point, you, you decided to survey um, data from around the world? Yes, what, what happened uh, was, uh, as part of our simulating the projected extinctions in Mexico, uh, Barry and I decided that, why don't we survey uh, the, the climatic changes in temperature and uh, see what other groups of lizards might be experiencing. So... Uh, Barry expanded the simulation to cover the, the globe, and we collected data on body temperatures for different groups of lizards. And we extrapolated the model for Mexico to these other groups of lizards, and we found these potential hotspots of extinction. So we had this model that predicted extinctions in different parts of the planet, for example, in Madagascar and in uh, Brazil. And Barry said, well, let's go to the literature and see if you can find any survey data. And I did a literature search, and I immediately found two studies, one in Brazil, and in uh, Madagascar we found a, a resurvey uh, paper that documented extinctions in uh, forests that had not been logged. So we had two examples, and then we said, oh, we have to start expanding. And then uh, Barry started emailing colleagues, asking them, have they noticed uh, populations disappearing? And we started getting responses from Australia, South Africa, Chile, uh, Argentina, and we were building up this compendium of lizard extinctions that in isolation would not have amounted to much, but in the aggregate brought together this alarming picture of the perils facing uh, the lizard fauna on the planet. What was your feeling when you, having come up with this model of, of how much uh, of a rise in temperature it might take to, to drive lizard species to extinction, having come up with this sort of model of how this happens, then looking at, at temperatures around the world and saying, well, it could happen here, it could happen here, it could happen here, sounding out researchers around the world and, and getting these responses that said, it is happening here, it has happened here. What, what was your feeling about that? Uh, to be honest, I think Barry and I lost quite a bit of sleep uh, over this. Um, it was a lot like getting punched in the gut. I think Barry expressed that in uh, his description of what happened uh, when he and Fausto in Mexico realized that what they were seeing in the sites they were visiting was the system 
disappearance of lizards as a consequence of, of uh, warming temperatures. Uh, and it's, it, it makes me heart sick, I suppose. The, the, the idea that uh, we're seeing these extinctions occurring in the present time. And, you know, we, we hear these stories that, oh, extinctions are going to be occurring, and it's always in the future. It's, this will happen in 2025 or 2050. And to find out that it's actually occurring now and it's actually global, uh, and then to find out that even if we stop the rise in emissions of carbon, that the, the trend will continue until 2050 if, you know, prevailing models are correct, and that the only thing we can do is mitigate what might happen in 2080 based on our models, uh, we felt uh, despondent that you know, we're going to be watching populations vanish before our eyes, and there's nothing we can do about it. So, so from what I gather uh, from reading the, uh, the article that you, Barry Sinervo, and others published in Science, um, and from talking to Barry Sinervo, uh, you guys have, have managed to pinpoint um, dozens of um, local extinctions in lizard populations around the world? Exactly. And, and there may be many, many more that, that you don't have data on. I mean, there may be many more that have happened or are happening, and, and you don't yet have the information. Yeah, I, I think the, the thing that we need is uh, additional surveys of uh, locations where we have identified uh, areas where the temperature changes are going to be most extreme and where we anticipate the temperatures, temperatures will exceed the uh, average body temperatures of the lizards. To give you an example, we have very good sampling in Mexico, in Europe, um, in parts of South America, uh, parts of Southern Africa, and parts of Australia. Um, we lack a lot of data for Northern Africa, uh, parts of Asia, other parts of Australasia, uh, sort of the, the, the tropical parts of Australia, New Guinea. Uh, there's a lot of the world that we don't have the critical data on body temperatures that we need in order to determine which populations and which species are at risk of extinction. So, so this may be the tip of the um, the melting iceberg. The proverbial tip of the iceberg, exactly. Though the iceberg too is melting because of global warming. Yeah. <laughs> The iceberg's getting smaller, and that means we don't have much opportunity to find out what's likely to be left, yeah. Um, are these specific types of lizards we're talking about? Actually, th these are uh, lizards of all families. The, the survey that we did uh, includes 34 different families of lizards in which we uh, scoured the literature for body temperatures uh, in order to... Um, refine the model to link extinctions with uh, climate change. When you say body temperatures, you guys had data on, on sort of the comfort zone that various species and groups of lizards um, are, are used to, and, and you could compare that against the actual temperatures from the climatological data and say, whoa, it's getting too hot to handle for, for these lizard species. Exactly, yes. So uh, we knew what the average body temperature was from... Uh, both our um, uh, own data in, in uh, working with lizards, uh, data from colleagues, as well as uh, data from the published literature. Give, give me an example of what is a, a sort of comfortable body temperature for some of these lizard groups, and, and, and what's too hot for them? It, it depends on the, on the kind of lizard. 
Um, so, for example, with the Scalopris species that we studied, uh, the, the Scalopris species are either uh, live bearers, that is, they, they give birth to live young, or they lay eggs. The live-bearing lizards tend to have a lower preferred body temperature, that's that cushion temperature, um, that is roughly around 92 degrees on average. And um, lizards that are egg layers prefer warmer temperatures, about, ironically, 98.6 degrees, the same as humans. Amazing. Um, and what's happening is that the average temperatures that they're experiencing might be 102 degrees Fahrenheit uh, for the egg bearers. For the, the life-bearing lizards, if it's warmer than, let's say, 96, 97, 98 degrees. So, so an increase of maybe 5 or so degrees Fahrenheit over uh, their preferred range of temperatures is enough to push them over the edge. Um, what about other reptiles, snakes, for instance? Well, we don't have an update on snakes, really. Um, so that's still something that needs to be investigated. Uh, I've been asked about that as well. And uh, we, we have not tested our model with snake species, but I would imagine that we're likely to find the same thing with snakes. You, you and, and Barry Sinervo and the others, uh, your other co-authors, have pointed out that uh, if trends continue in temperature and if your model is correct, that um, we could see oh, an extinction of maybe 20% of all lizard species by uh, the year 2080 and a, an extinction of maybe 6% of lizard species by 2050. Right. Um, you think that 2050 scenario is almost inevitable because um, it, it, it takes so long to, um, to turn the battleship around in this case, meaning uh, that even if we were to, to, to begin to cut back on greenhouse emissions, we, we could, probably couldn't stop that kind of temperature rise? Uh, yeah, based on the prevailing uh, theory that we read from the climatologists, uh, unless you know, something drastic was done about reducing greenhouse gas emissions, uh, the battleship is going to continue to turn until after 2050. Uh -huh. And so what we're thinking is if changes were implemented now, if climate policy changes were enacted so that they took place in the near future, we can avoid the scenario that we describe for 2080. Hmm. Is there anything else human beings can do for lizards <laughs> in addition to reducing our carbon footprint? Uh, well, the other thing we can do is to avoid uh, uh, degrading or destroying the habitat that lizards require. Um, management of invasive species, rehabilitation of degraded habitats, protection of uh, sensitive habitats, those can go a long way to protect lizards in the face of climate change. I think the, the thing to, to know about our study is uh, all of the, the populations we used were from undisturbed sites. So we did not have the effects of uh, habitat degradation or habitat loss confounding our results. These are lizards from more or less intact habitats, and the disappearance can only be attributable to, to changing climate. So if the habitats change, and we're seeing massive amounts of habitat loss in areas such as uh, Madagascar and other hot spots of biological diversity. Uh, if that continues along with uh, climate change, we are likely to see the acceleration of species loss. So you guys weren't even looking at worst-case scenarios where, in addition to climate change, there's all kinds of habitat destruction. 
um, and other forces working against the lizards. Yep. Well, well, Don, um, I wish there were some a bright spot in all of this, but it doesn't sound like there really is one. Uh, I hope there is. I hope that uh, you know, lizards are more resilient than we uh, give them credit for. Uh, <laughs> uh, but based on the, on the work that we've done so far uh, and with uh, additional surveys that we've conducted, uh, we are more depressed than we are enthusiastic or uh, optimistic. Don Miles is a biologist at Ohio University and one of the co-authors of a just-published scientific paper claiming that a wave of climate-driven extinctions is underway worldwide, with lizards as one of the first casualties. This is the 7th Avenue Project on KUSP. I'm Robert Polly. Finally today, we'll get some context from a scientist who wasn't directly involved in the extinction study, but who's familiar with all the details. Raymond Huey is a professor and chair of the biology department at the University of Washington, where, among other things, he studies lizards and climate warming. And he says that despite having an inkling that some lizard populations could be at risk, the new findings still took him by surprise. Lizards should be animals that are relatively invulnerable to climate warming. Uh, They are tolerant of high temperatures. Many live in desert areas that are really hot. Uh, They are famous for being able to use their behavior to evade the high temperatures. For example, if the environment starts to get hot, they move into the shade. If the shade becomes too hot, they move under a rock or down a burrow. Uh, They're very, very good at escaping the heat. So you put those two things together and you think, gee, lizards should be pretty well protected against climate warming. So to find a paper that comes along and says lizards are not only vulnerable, but in fact many populations have already gone extinct, is is just a very, very surprising uh, observation. Did you find the data convincing? Uh, Yes. It is a very complicated paper. There are many parts to it. But the basic observation of observed extinctions of populations, I think the data there are very solid. The people involved here, this is a worldwide collection of scientists. Uh, I know many of them. They are very good field biologists with lots of experience. And when they say that lizards have gone extinct, uh, I believe them. and the data from Mexico and France in particular are, I think, very solid. Extinctions are always a risky thing because populations can decline temporarily for a variety of reasons. And so if one went to a site where there used to be lizards and one doesn't see them right now on a single visit, that could just be a low point in their population cycle. But uh, I think certainly in the case of France, they've gone back to these sites several times, at least many of them, and the lizards aren't there. Uh, So I think that those data are are very solid. It it sounds like lizard species have been sort of disappearing under our noses without us noticing until now. Exactly. Nobody was looking. Uh, We've known for two decades that amphibians have been declining. So I think all of the focus has been on declining amphibian populations, and most of us just never dreamed that we would see extinctions already. Several of us have developed uh, 
theoretical models that have predicted that lizards will have trouble in the future, but I don't think any of us predicted that there that extinctions uh, are not just for the future, but they're here already. And, and you see the evidence in this paper as, as arguing um, persuasively that the, the reason is definitely um, rise in uh, global temperatures. That will be a bit more controversial. I mean, when, one, when a population goes extinct, the first thing anyone would think of is habitat destruction. Uh, an area has been converted to a cornfield or a housing development. But in this case, the sites that they revisited are pristine habitats. There has not been habitat destruction. That means you have to find some other reason uh, for, for that extinction. The data that they present are, are indirect, but all of the pieces fit together and all point in the same direction that uh, climate warming uh, is the likely culprit. Does it add to the, the credibility of, uh, of the argument that after finding populations that appear to have gone extinct in areas where the temperature has risen, they then looked around the world at environments where the temperature has similarly risen over the last few decades, and voila, extinction seemed to have happened there as well. So the common denominator in all these places, however diverse and widespread they are, is temperature. Absolutely. Now, there may be some other unknown factor that, that also occurs by coincidence at these same sites, but the point you're making, I think, is, is a strong one, that they used observed changes in temperature to predict where extinctions should be found. And they were right some significant fraction of the time. That's a, that's a powerful argument in their favor. Now, now, scientists, of course, have been wondering about the effects of, of global warming for quite some time and, and, and postulating that it re would result in extinctions. Um, and, of course, a lot of different species uh, have, been, have been examined. What does this new study add to, to the picture that we have of, of the overall impact of global warming that, that, that we didn't have before? I mean, aside from the addition of lizards to the, to the, the possibly endangered list. I would say that adding lizards actually is very important because the primary extinctions that we've seen so far have been with amphibian populations. And those are complicated by interactions with fungal diseases. So it's not just a direct effect of climate warming, but it's, it's a disease warming uh, combination. This is the first study, to my knowledge, that shows on a global scale that extinctions are taking place now uh, and in a major group of organisms and with very likely a direct and unambiguous effect of temperature and temperature alone. So I think that makes it a very important study. Uh, on a gut level, how does, this, how does this hit you? Very disturbing. I like lizards. <laughs> I studied lizards most of my life. Um, I thought lizards would be protected more or less from the ravages of climate warming compared to many other organisms. And I find it really sad to realize that extinctions are already here and that uh, over the next few decades, if climate continues to warm, that we may lose a great many lizard populations around the world. You uh, co-authored uh, a commentary piece, a perspective piece, in the issue of Science Magazine where the Cinervo study 
uh, was published. And, and you titled uh, your article, um, Are Lizards Toast? Um, are Lizards Toast? Their projections for the future are that lizards will be toast if climate continues to warm at the rates that are projected by climatologists. And, of course, there's no way to know whether that will, in fact, happen. Some models predict more change, some predict less. What will actually happen, we don't yet know. But I think almost under any of those scenarios, the climate is going to get warmer, and that would suggest that lizards, uh, many lizard populations are going to be uh, in trouble. If a group of creatures as durable and tough as lizards is endangered, or at least large numbers of species of lizards are endangered, what does that say about the rest of animal life on Earth? I think it's a very disturbing observation, and it implies that, suggests that organisms that don't have the physiological tolerances of lizards and don't have the behavioral capacities to, to evade high temperatures, they're going to be even in more trouble. And even if lizards are the only ones to be directly affected by climate warming, their loss will have major implications and effects on communities. Lizards are primarily insect eaters, and if you take lizards out of the system, uh, insect populations are likely to increase. Lizards are food for many snakes, birds, mammals, and if you take away the food of those organisms, uh, they're going to be in trouble. So we could see very widespread effects, uh, even if lizards are the only organisms. But as I've just suggested, I think they're not going to be the only ones that are suffering. So it's a, it's a very disturbing message. Are you holding out hope that something about this study or its conclusions um, might be mistaken? Absolutely. <laughs> um, we The paper that we published a couple of years ago predicting uh, that climate warming would have uh, detrimental effects on tropical forest lizards. Uh, that's the first time that I've done a study that I hope is wrong. Mm. Uh, I think all of us who who are working in this area have exactly the same feeling. I know Barry Sinerva does. We like lizards. Uh, we hope that our predictions are wrong, because if we're right, it's going to be a, a, a very sad world. Raymond Huey is a professor of biology at the University of Washington. And that does it for today's 7th Avenue Project. I'm Robert Polly. I'll be back next week. And you can always check out our website, 7thAvenueProject.com, where you can listen to archived audio of today's show, past programs, and more.